Triathlon Show 333. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Dr. Andy King. Andy is an exercise physiologist at the Australian Catholic University, and he joins us today to discuss the science and application of hydrogel products, for example, the likes of Morton and SIS Beta Fuel. Do they work? How do they work? And is it worth paying the premium compared to regular sports nutrition products? Those are questions we'll try to answer in this interview. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration have two new and exciting products that I want to highlight today. First, they have the PF90 gel, which is affectionately known as a jumbo gel. It has 90 grams of carbohydrate in it and a resealable cap. So it's a great product for carrying efficiency because having even one or just a couple of these gels can go a pretty long way even on your longer workouts. The other new product is the PF32, which you can get in two flavors, either the original, which is a mild and neutral flavor, or in a mint and lemon flavor. These chews are great alternatives to gels or sport drinks, especially during longer workouts at lower intensities, because they can feel a bit more satiating and satisfying than the alternative. Each chew package contains 30 grams of carbohydrate, as the name implies, uh, because as always with precision fuel products, one of the main objectives is that it should be easy for you to hit your target numbers. So all products are 30 grams of carbohydrate or multiples of 30 grams, as in the case of the PF90, which is just similar to three PF30 products. As a listener of the show, you can get 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TTS22 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Zenate. The Zenate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home, allowing you to improve your technique, work on power and stamina, and save time and stay consistent. Consistency is the most important thing in training, but sometimes it's tough to find the time to get to the pool, so to have a time-efficient way to complement your pool and open water swimming at home is invaluable. In addition, you can use it to do things like swim, bike, brick workouts, and you can work on your core activation and streamline with the help of the built-in instability element of the swim bench. The Zenate Swim Trainer does not take up a lot of space, and it is very affordable, even more so with a 20% discount code that you can get on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Also, it's a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks of using it, send it back and you can get a full refund. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Dr. Andy King. Welcome to that triathlon show, Andy. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for having me along. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Can you start by introducing yourself and uh, tell us a bit more about your background? Yeah, my name's Andy King. I'm a researcher in exercise physiology and human metabolism. Currently work at Australian Catholic University, um, having moved from Leeds in the UK a few years ago. And most of my interest lies in endurance sport and how we can optimize performance through physiology and nutrition manipulation yeah and the reason that i found out about your work is uh, some papers that you and your colleagues have published around hydrogels which is in the last few years have, have been becoming more prominent on the in the marketplace and also in the in the literature so that's one of the main things we'll talk about today and can we start by can you explain to us what are hydrogels really how do they differ from regular gels 
Yeah, it's um, a new product, like you say, that's made its way onto the market over the last um, kind of four or five years and gained in a lot of popularity through um, what was initially some pretty good marketing and a really good relationship with a lot of high-level professional endurance athletes. And the product is effectively the same as what you would expect to see in a typical carbohydrate drink or gel, as in it's sugar um, delivered in solution to the person exercising. Um, But the hydrogel uses the addition of a couple of extra ingredients. One of those ingredients is alginate, which is a polymer derived from seaweed. Um, And one of those other ingredients is pectin, which is a a similar biopolymer polysaccharide, which with that unique combination with alginate in the hydrogel allows the whole ingested solution to form a kind of gel-like substance once it comes into contact with the extremely low pH environment in the stomach. And the idea is that then that gel moves kind of unimpeded into the intestine where it can be accessed by the enzymes in the gut, in the intestine um, to facilitate that transport of carbohydrate that then we would typically see with a normal carbohydrate solution or gel. So the benefits of, of that would be that uh, the, it comes into the intestine more rapidly than regular gels so is it also possibly about uh, just not running the risk of having the stomach not being able to to do gastric emptying as quickly and then potentially having stomach upset because you have too much uh, too many gels normal gels that don't move out into the intestine quickly enough or are there any other benefits of of this this structure yeah, so it's, it's a, a kind of question that sounds quite easy um, to answer, but there's a, a bit of kind of complex physiology that, that goes behind it. I won't sort of get too much into the depths of that, but when you drink a solution that contains carbohydrate, typically that will delay or slow down gastric emptying. And that happens sort of to a point um, of osmolality where the content or the total carbohydrate content will um start to slow that down the idea with the hydrogel is that the the gel allows the carbohydrate to just move through the stomach without that feedback effect happening a gastric emptying thereby isn't delayed so once you get over that kind of osmolality threshold that typically would slow the gastric emptying the idea is that the hydrogel will effectively hide the carbohydrate content and allow that to not delay gastric emptying there's a kind of balance that's got to be struck here between the amount of fluid that someone can drink and the gastric emptying that's going to be required to deliver the drink and its contents and also the amount of carbohydrate that we want to get through so even though gastric emptying does slow once we get to a certain point of concentration of carbohydrate we actually can still deliver more carbohydrate even though gastric emptying is slightly slowed down if you're if you're with me So there's a kind of sweet spot for um, the carbohydrate content. And the the idea, certainly with the hydrogel, is to try and hide or smuggle more carbohydrate in. Mm, Yeah, that's a a great explanation. And I just realized that for listeners that that may not be familiar with the term hydrogel, maybe we should just name a couple of examples. So Morton, I guess, is 
probably the original, uh, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, that well, that's one of the big big brands anyway. But now there are other brands like Science Insport, uh, Beta Fuel. I think uses a similar uh, similar methodology, and and there might be might be others as well. Just to set the context for for the listeners. Yeah, Morton's um, certainly the primary driver in the marketplace. Beta Fuel, like you say, is um, an alternative product. Um, Morton were the, the key movers in getting this into the sports nutrition world and they certainly pushed it and marketed it very well and they've got huge amount of support from athletes from very early days and that support isn't just I think pure marketing that's anecdotal feedback from athletes to say that they did feel a benefit from the product yeah and that leads us to then over the last few years uh, scientific studies have have started to try to evaluate uh, systematically, how uh, how these gels really work in terms of things like performance and uh, GI symptoms and 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 more. So uh, there have now been uh, quite a number of studies, and uh, you and your colleagues published a systematic review uh, that assessed the the state of the literature in 2020. I think you published that and uh, comparing these hydrogels with regular carbohydrate products, uh, both in terms of the performance parameters and metabolic parameters so can you talk a bit about when when you published this meta-analysis what was the state of evidence in terms of number and quality of of studies and the demographics investigated and so on to set the background yeah sure yeah it's amazing to think that we published that two years ago um time certainly disappeared into a vacuum in the last two years hasn't it um the the literature at the time was relatively scarce when it comes to hydrogels i certainly um would hesitate from calling it um, a meta-analysis and even a systematic review might be too generous. Um, We just looked at the six studies that had been published at that time and just wanted to see whether there were any um, similar characteristics between those studies. And typically um, what we see in exercise nutrition studies, certainly in acute feeding, is a range of protocols, study designs, participants that were used in studies. And that certainly makes initial comparisons quite tricky. And that's pretty much exactly what we found in the six studies that have been published up until February or March 2020. It's not to say that each of the or any of the studies individually was poor. They weren't. They were actually all conducted by um, good, reputable labs um, around the world by good quality scientific researchers. I don't have any doubts as to the merits of those studies. It's just that the difference in, say, for example, one was in cross-country skiing, one was in running, um, and the others were cycling. It makes comparisons potentially hard there. There was a range of different exercise intensities used, a range of exercise durations, um, training status of participants. So There's a number of factors that I think certainly from a scientific um, point of view or certainly an analytical point of view to try and capture the literature at any point is challenging. And with the few number of studies, like, you know, I'm hesitant to draw really firm conclusions. And that hasn't particularly changed since then because of pretty obvious reasons. It's been pretty hard to get in a lab. Um, There have been a couple of other studies published since. Yeah. Uh, so staying with the, the the results of those studies that that you reviewed, then um, without drawing any firm conclusions, can you paint a picture of 
what the results looked like across those studies in terms of we can start maybe with performance parameters. Yeah, in a nutshell, it, the hydrogel doesn't work um, is what we concluded. Um, that none of the studies showed um, significant performance benefit over typical carbohydrate drinks. That obviously you can still make the comparison then to control solutions. So typically control solutions in studies would be water um, or a flavor matched sweetened placebo, i.e. it doesn't have any carbohydrate sugar content in it. And that was beneficial, you know, so that the hydrogel wasn't doing any harm compared to traditional sports drinks. Um, it was just matching it. Yeah, no, that's that's clear and easy. What about uh, when you look into the metabolic parameters? And can, can you explain first which ones you you tended to to look at, and and then what the results you found were? I, I guess the key thing from a mechanistic point of view that we're interested in metabolically is the amount of carbohydrate that the body can use that came from the drink. And we call that exogenous carbohydrate oxidation. So exogenous meaning from outside. And that didn't change. But out of those six studies, that that parameter wasn't measured. I think only one of the studies had measured that and there wasn't any difference. And We're also interested, um, or certainly within that study, because I think we'll, we'll come on to the conversation in a sec around what happens to the endogenous carbohydrate stores, so glycogen within the body. Um, other things we're interested in looking at is plasma glucose. Um, there weren't any significant differences in that between traditional carbohydrate drinks and the hydrogel. Lactate was unchanged. Um, I wouldn't particularly expect to see changes in lactate um, if the composition of the sugars was the same. Um, and we also were interested because of the initial marketing claims around the Morton product, uh, what happened to gastrointestinal distress or symptoms of gastrointestinal distress. And there were a couple of minor differences between the hydrogel and the traditional drink, but the variability reported between the participants and between the studies was too big to sort of lean to any specific conclusions in that regard as well. Mm. Yeah, coming back to the, uh, the oxidation of exogenous carbohydrates, that's certainly one of the things that uh, just when, when you first start thinking about it, the, the theory or the purported theory and mechanism behind these gels You would think that okay, if we can get get these gel or these these sugars into the intestine quicker, and maybe get more of that into the intestine, then you could in in a scenario where where you might not get with regular gels where you might not get get it out into the intestine as quickly, then your body would still theoretically have to rely more on on sources of endogenous carbohydrates, and and that's why you would hypothesize that okay, maybe with these hydrogels uh, we can actually Uh, cover more of our carbohydrate needs through the carbohydrates we actually put in our body through the gels themselves rather than taking from our our stores stored uh, carbohydrates in the body but that's what uh yeah these these studies anyway that were reviewed uh, or this study that that did review that did not find any any difference but uh, yeah just to explain the the theory behind that uh and also interesting to hear about the gi distress symptoms uh, that there weren't any differences Uh, since that 
uh, review, though you you and your lab have published an intervention study of your own where you compared uh, the hydrogels versus standard gels versus placebo as well, and you, you did that in runners. So what led you to conduct this study? Uh, was there, we were trying to basically um, cover some missing holes in, in the existing literature? Yeah, that's um, that's quite a good way of putting it, covering, covering a few gaps off. Um, the study uh, you're talking about um, was published um, last year um, and came out, I think, for sort of full access early um, in 2022. And that was led by Josh Rowe, who was a PhD student in John O'Hara's um, group up in Leeds in the UK. And Josh ran a great study um, putting this together. It's not easy kind of getting um, these acute metabolic studies put together and running actually throws um, a few extra challenges into the mix um, in regard, regards to sample collection and um, various other things, as well as just asking people to run on a treadmill for two and a half hours. Um, it's quite different to asking cyclists to to do that. Um, and, yeah, I think sort of hitting holes or covering a few holes is quite a good way of putting it. Josh had spent a lot of time in the lab um, formulating his own hydrogel solution um, and tried a, a huge number of prototypes um, so we weren't using a commercial product. I don't know whether that's important for people to hear or not, um, but it was a lab-made product like all of the products that we um, have used in our research we make ourselves. Um, and he'd also looked at a, a range of different um, issues, I guess, with regards to gastrointestinal comfort um, across different exercise intensities to try and sort of hit upon a sweet spot as to what um, intensity might be most beneficial i think sort of settled on approximately 70 percent vo2 max um partly because of the the gi issues that he had seen in some pilot work but partly because that's can, can, a, can you give an idea for the listeners when when running at 70 percent max uh for regular amateur athletes are we talking about roughly marathon pace or or so yeah i guess um for yeah well-trained amateur athlete yeah you, you sustainable speed for two to three hours yeah um as athletes become more trained or more um tuned to race faster they can achieve a higher percentage of their vo2 max for for that duration but yeah in these runners we were looking at, at well-trained um amateur athletes so i think for context their vo2 max was in and around the 60s yeah okay yeah uh good yeah so do go on sorry for interjecting there that's right. Um, and so, the yeah, the study was um, put together as well off the back of some of the research that I'd done earlier looking at dose response of typical carbohydrate ingestion. So we knew we were targeting or looking to try and target about 90 grams an hour of carbohydrate ingestion. Um, that had come from, yeah, some of the work I'd done, but a huge body of research that had been done by numerous researchers across um, the world previously, looking at trying to optimise the the dose of exogenous carbohydrate to take. Um, and relatively um, universal agreement, hitting around 90 grams an hour of a mixture of glucose and fructose. We can come back to this a little bit more, if you like, as well. Um, was, was good. So we were trying to keep some consistency in Josh's study with some of that information um but yeah running was important because 
we know um, that GI issues are more prevalent in runners. There's been some nice research um, covering that off. And part of that mechanism is simply just down to the mechanical effort of running. Your gut is mobile and bouncing, whereas when you're sitting on a bike, um, you tend to be more stationary um, through the center of your body. And that mechanical dislocation of the, the gut can cause some issues. Um, and there's potentially some um, slightly different uh, changes in blood flow as well that um, cause issues. So we thought we were setting up a pretty good environment to give the hydrogel a chance to work by increasing that exercise intensity slightly compared to the previous studies. Only one of those studies that we reviewed two years before um, had got to a similar exercise intensity, and that was the cross-country skiing study. Um we wanted to stress duration, so we didn't want to just do a short sort of one hour or so protocol. We also wanted to combine the study with a performance test. So that's often one of the challenges of getting um, people to come in and exercise in the lab for a long time is often you can choose between looking at a mechanistic study and just fixing the exercise intensity or doing a performance test. And we've had success with doing both before by adding a, a short performance test on at the end of a fixed intensity period. So took, they did two hours of running followed by 5K time trial. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to co- combining the two. And um, yeah, is there, is there anything else we're moving into the protocol then? You already mentioned that uh, the participants were well-trained via max in, in the 60s and uh, the the running, the the protocol being that two-hour uh, submaximal run followed by 5k time trial what what other things do we need to know about the the methods and the study protocol i think that the rest is um hopefully relatively straightforward the drinks were matched for energy and sugar content between um the carbohydrate drink and the hydrogel drink we also had a control um solution so a non-carbohydrate drink within there as well just for comparison back to having nothing got it yeah. So what did you find then? And again, we can maybe start with the performance results in terms of performance. Yeah. So the there was no surprise that the carbohydrate in the drink improved performance. Um, that that was, was not unexpected. Um, we did also see that the hydrogel drink compared to the non-hydrogel drink was about 2% quicker across the 5K time trial as well. Um, and actually almost all of the well seven of the participants got quicker um and a couple they were marginally slower but certainly no one regressed backwards significantly between going from the normal carbohydrate drink to the hydrogel Mm. and why why do you think that uh that this was the case Is, is it really a combination of the factors you mentioned there longer duration slightly higher intensity early on running uh, are those the reasons that that you found that difference between hydrogel and non-hydrogel carbohydrates i think when you start to make the comparisons to the study design it gets quite tricky to nut out exactly what change or difference might or might not cause a difference and i think that's why we and i'm always keen to stress the need for lots of information before we sort of start making clear-cut recommendations and yeah, this is one study in the in the jigsaw that shows that there's potentially some benefit. Um, I think probably the key 
parameter was just nudging that exercise intensity up higher. We know that splenic blood flow is reduced, um, so blood flow to the um, gut area is lower during higher intensity exercise. You will have felt that yourself if you race really hard or, or a shorter, harder race. It's much harder to eat um, or drink anything and keep it down in a comfortable way than if you're kind of out for a long, steady, cruisy training ride. Um, and I think, yeah, a combination it, um, with the running element as well. And that maybe was just enough to reduce um, some GI symptoms, which we saw a reduction in um, GI distress um, just slightly. That was maybe enough um, to indicate that there was better comfort and better handling of the carbohydrate. Um, and the study also showed this sort of slight, slight increase, um, which was significant statistically in the exogenous oxidation from the hydrogel. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. How, how many how many participants did you have in in the study and in, in each group? Uh, so it's a repeated measures design. So that means that everyone did each of the. Um, conditions i.e. the placebo condition the normal carbohydrate drink and the hydrogel drink each every person did each of those conditions yep. and we had 11 people yep. okay got it um uh, yeah so what about other studies that have been released since uh, the the review that you conducted uh, in addition to uh, this one that you were involved in uh, have there been any other interesting interesting new knowledge interesting new studies that uh, that would be important to hear about um yeah there's um a guy called Sean Suthall who's um publishing as well in this area he put a paper out in um 2021 um which looked at um aid endurance um runners again they were they were well trained as well that Vitamax was in and around 70 um, and they looked at um, exogenous oxidation. Um, I think the dose was slightly lower in that. Um, so it was about 70 grams an hour of a mixture of um, glucose and fructose. Um, and they didn't see any significant difference in the oxidation from um, the hydrogel and the normal carbohydrate drink. Um, but when they, th they also did a single hydrogel dose a higher rate and that did increase um exogenous oxidation the, the only challenge with that study was um from memory they didn't have a comparison carbohydrate condition in that higher dose and so i would kind of expect the exogenous oxidation to have gone up simply because the carbohydrate was higher not necessarily because of the hydrogel yeah and uh, if we start to try to summarize this and give some practical uh, applied uh, tips for listeners, then uh, what would you recommend as a practitioner regarding the use or, or not use of hydrogels to the listeners? Yeah, it's a really good question. And ultimately, there's no point in doing these lab studies if it doesn't translate out into the, the real world and helping runners, cyclists, even swimmers, triathletes doing all of them um to use something and i think i i'm still definitely happy with the idea of hydrogels i think there's mileage in this from a scientific sense and i definitely think there's mileage in it from a, a practical sense for people to use i think 
I probably wouldn't rush out and buy it tomorrow as the kind of thing that's going to change your race day. I think there are a lot of factors that are going to override um, your performance on race day, a lot of them nutrition-related as well. Um, but I still think if it works for you and you're happy with it and it sits well in your gut and in your stomach and you feel that you get some reduced symptoms of GI distress or you think that you get that extra lift from it, go for it. I think you've just got to go out and experiment and try it yourself um, sometimes and not rely too much on, on what the labs are doing. Yeah, no, I would 100% agree with that. Uh, as a coach, I've had a couple of athletes that have struggled with nutrition before and with GI uh, distress symptoms before, and then they've tried uh, some hydrogel products, and, and it's basically uh, like magic solved all of their GI issues. So at an individual level, it uh, I've seen that it can have have a big difference and a big impact yeah. on uh, on on the athletes even even though as an average or a population level maybe the difference isn't really there or we don't we're not really clear on what conditions there need to be for the difference to be there I, but, I, but I, yeah, it's, it's worth experimenting if you have if you have issues i think it's worth experimenting if you if you do know you're a prone to gi um discomfort when you exercise i think it's worth a go from my experience maybe kind of five to ten percent of people will have an intolerance to fructose it's not like not hereditary fructose intolerance that's a very different um medical condition but i think if you know that you struggle with fructose so fructose is the kind of sugar you find in fruit predominantly um if you have any sort of bloating type reactions or or um stomach cramps when you eat a lot of fruit you potentially might be indicative of having a slight intolerance to fructose or you just take carbohydrate drinks and gels when you exercise that have a fructose component to them and you feel GI issues. Fructose could well be the source of those and the hydrogel could be one way of helping just get that carbohydrate delivered through the stomach that little bit quicker into the intestine a little bit quicker um, without that kind of feedback and through the gut that's causing those issues i'd probably add that if your carb ingestion during exercise is so low you know 20 30 grams an hour i.e one gel you know is approximately 20 to 30 grams it differs between each product doesn't it but if that's what you take you probably don't need fructose in the first place so going to a morton hydrogel is probably not the way you necessarily need to go it's more expensive for a start um maybe just experiment with the composition of what is actually in the sugars that you're taking. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify that. So the, for the listeners, the benefit of having fructose in addition to uh, glucose in, in a gel or a carbohydrate product is that you have another, you have, you basically, you can saturate the carbohydrate transporters and there's only so much glucose that can be transported uh, across uh, the intestine and, and to uh, to the muscles. So, but when you have fructose, you you use different transporters. So, so you can get an additional. And uh, traditionally, I've, what the numbers that we've seen is that approximately sixty grams per hour of glucose and thirty grams per hour of, of fructose. So instead of being limited to being able to actually 
take up 60 grams you can take up 90 grams theoretically and we'll get into some questions about that and maybe stretching the limits but then the potential there with hydrogels would then be as you say that if you can just get them through the uh the stomach in a kind of smuggled as you say in that uh in, in that hydrogel format then maybe you won't have the issues but you can still benefit from having that multiple transportable carbohydrate uh, source of energy yeah couldn't put it better myself so um yeah that's actually where i wanted to go next with uh, glucose and fructose and uh let's talk a little bit about the ratios so so as I said, the two to one ratio has been commonly used, but there are now some products, and and I can't remember is Morton one of them that uses a one to zero point eight ratio of glucose to fructose. And uh, then the, my question really is, what do you think? What what? How much evidence is there for one potentially being better than the other or being quote unquote op- optimal? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a tiny bit complicated. This one. Um, and my, I think my my advice would kind of come first on this, which is, and similar to the hydrogel advice, is go out and see what works for you. Don't necessarily take a product or a lab study or an an advert or article that you've seen and go and think that that's just going to work. I think when it comes to glucose, it's a bit more simple and straightforward the upper limit for absorption across the intestine is around one to 1.2 grams per minute. So that's roughly 60 to 70 grams per hour. Um, you can do the maths on how much is in each gel or drink um, and how often you take it um, during your exercise. Fructose, I think, is a little bit more nuanced just partially because of what I mentioned before about that individual difference and in tolerability to fructose. It certainly seems to be more um, of the source of GI issues. And so if you think you fall in that camp or you're going to set about going out and trying fructose in your gels and your drinks, just start, just start low um, and build it up and just see what you can get to. The evidence behind the ratio of fructose to glucose um, is is a bit mixed as well. There's some really, really excellent studies that were done um, sort of between sort of roughly 2005 to 2015, um, largely by a guy called David Rowlands, um, but the few other contributors like Wendy O'Brien and Gareth Wallace who did some really, really good nifty studies in this area. And their kind of conclusion was that a ratio of 0.8 to 1, so fructose to glucose, so a little bit more glucose and fructose was best. Um, but then the kind of recommendations that have come off that um, sort of go back towards kind of 0.5 to 1, so half the amount of fructose to glucose. And I think we're seeing definitely an effect of different studies happening there. So different people in different studies, different protocols, different feeding um, patterns um, that affect that. And it's sort of, I just, I think I just caution people from getting too fixated on, on what's probably quite a small number, 0.8, 0.7, 0.5 to one. 
you know, we're talking grams of fructose. That's different. We're not going to suddenly be producing all these mega moles of ATP production at the muscle just because we've tweaked that ratio significantly. Um, I think once you're pushing that total carbohydrate intake up above 60 grams per hour, put fructose in and play around with that ratio. Start at approximately 0.4 to 1. So if you've got 60 grams um, of glucose, you know, go just under 30 grams of fructose and just start building it and building it and just see what you can get to. Um, there's also research that looks at sucrose. So that's table sugar. Um, there's a mixture of one-to-one of glucose and fructose. And that works. You know, you might not get the optimum, optimum number in terms of exogenous carbohydrate oxidation, but if I said, do you want 1.3 grams a minute of exogenous carbohydrate oxidation or 1.22 grams per minute, are you, you're going to be picky over the difference. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's good. That's all good advice. Uh, first of all, it's very very practical, and uh, and yeah, it does make some sense to start lower and then just try to work your way up. But equally, not being fixated on the differences are relatively small in the grand grand scheme of things. Uh, with whether you you go at a two to one or a one to zero point eight ratio, um, but the studies that we have seen coming out in recent years about going to higher total amounts of carbohydrate, like going up to 120 grams per hour. Uh, what do you think of of those? Uh, in what scenarios do, do you think? I mean, I think I, I've interviewed Aitor Vidibai about this, where they did some studies in uh, in mountain runners, and and they saw some positive effects of that. But but what they didn't do, obviously, because that was a field study, not a lab study. They didn't look at things like actual carbohydrate oxidation or exogenous carbohydrate oxidation. What's your take on on going to these higher amounts, which in applied practice seems to be becoming more and more popular and prevalent? Yeah, you. I think you hit the nail on the head there that it's, at the moment, it's coming from the field. Um, ITOR is a great practitioner. Um, I've had communications with him and love what he's doing. He's a great communicator in um, science and him and several others. And if you talk to people in, uh, the pro cycling world, you know, these athletes are consuming staggering amounts of carbohydrate. I just kind of can't visualize it sometimes, like how much they're taking on the bike, how much they eat in their diet, you know, over big races and big training blocks. It's um, it's huge intake. I think we have to moderate the advice between these athletes at the very, very top, you know, 0.1% of the field and the rest of us. Um to, to some extent, I think the 120 grams an hour work has got a lot of mileage in it. I, I think we should be trying to push the limit of um, what we can get people to take. I think from the studies you refer to um, that were done in the field, they were ultra running studies, um, and they looked at some interesting measures around recovery, neuromuscular performance and recovery, and they – they showed that the high dose, that 120 grams an hour, was was beneficial. They, I mean, they admitted that potentially in a training context that could potentially be harmful, um, that it might slightly blunt the adaptive response. So I think that's an interesting thing we need to bear in mind. I think 
the likelihood is that the people that could tolerate that high dose had had exposure to using and taking carbohydrate before as well. And that's certainly what, if you speak to people in the pro sport world, that getting that training of the gut is probably quite a key parameter to be able to push that 90 gram an hour recommendation much higher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that yeah, you hit, hit the nail on the head there with a couple of the points there. First of all, it being ultra running. And I think that's as a triathlon coach and most of my athletes focus on half and full distance triathlon. So uh, that those events taking between four hours to 17 hours from the fast end of half distance to slow end of full distance uh, that's obviously you're just going to by the sheer amount of time that it takes you you're going to gradually just deplete your carbohydrate store so much that if you can take on more then that will delay the point where where you are too depleted to well where you actually lose performance or worst case scenario really get into a bonking situation uh so so that's one interesting aspect of it but but i think it's interesting what you mentioned there with uh the training whether in training if you habitually do that if you plant the adaptive response on the other hand i wouldn't recommend anybody to never train with the amount that they're going to use on race day you kind of need to make sure that you uh, you have you can tolerate it at least on, on a few training occasions before you decided okay this is my plan for for race day yeah you you just can't go out and try something for the first time you wouldn't rock up on race day with a brand new pair of runners would you no unless well actually i would but it's but it's yeah with, with the new with the new nike nike shoes but i mean not the first time i used them i i did i did practice in them in training a few times before the race but but since then i'm actually just uh yeah saving saving them for race day and the rip, next time I'll rip, buy rip the tags pair of them, I'll, in transition <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, maybe that's also an exaggeration now because now we're getting more information from from some interesting um, case study data that they, they actually have more mileage in them without uh, reduced performance than we initially thought when, when it was thought that after 200 kilometers, uh, those shoes are done. So so maybe I would change my approach on that as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they last a bit longer than, than wanting to either buy the next pair. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we, we got through... Uh, the point on training the gut as well, which you mentioned that you need to, you probably need to do that to be able to, uh, to consume those high amounts. Then uh, one question that I also had is we, we discussed hydrogels and then how they compare to, to regular gels. What about other sources of carbohydrate, like sports drinks, bars, and even like Haribo or Snickers, like all sorts of things that you see people use. What, what do you think about how those types of products compare? Yeah, I mean, Graham Obrey, famous Scottish cyclist, used to eat jam sandwiches. Um, he wouldn't do anything else, maybe a banana. Um, I think, yeah, there's a, a role definitely for finding a food stuff that works for you. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a believer from a nutritional point of view in what food does as a reward system to your brain and food is inextricably linked to mood and satisfaction isn't it as well so if chugging down endless gels which are 
sometimes quite rich and sticky is not for you and you, you want some Haribo or some Jelly Babies, do it. Like the composition for, you know, adding that little bit extra into your diet or on, on your training rides or runs, it's going to be pretty much good enough. Um, most of them made with a mixture of glucose, syrup or glucose and some table sugar, sucrose. So you're probably getting a good blend of glucose and fructose. It's nice, isn't it? Um, from a metabolic point of view, I'm not aware of any evidence and there's definitely studies to show that there isn't really any difference between really high sugar sweets or lollies um, and off-the-shelf special sports nutrition products. So if you find that a particular bag of sweets works best for you and you like the taste, go for it. You might find that the chewiness of them or the kind of gelatinous component maybe would increase any GI issues if you're prone to that. So again, comes back to trial and error and practicing that on training sessions and not on race day. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely works. And if you're out for really long sessions, um, on the bike, for example, you might want something that's a bit more whole food, you know, hence the jam sandwich or the high carbohydrate bar. Rice cakes are, are great. You can use rice cakes as well to break up the, the sweetness and, and have something a bit more savory as well. So you're changing up the flavor profile of what you're eating. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in long endurance run, ride or run, it doesn't really make a difference if it's maybe a bit slower, but uh, I'm just imagining that potentially takes a bit longer for bars or or haribo or something to you know get out into intestine and, and be able to taken up by the by the muscles uh, is, is that something that you're aware of mechanistically that that actually happens or or is that just a pure speculation that it would take longer for it to get into the system properly no if you have um yeah food with a, a content of protein and fat with it as well it will slow down the whole process of digestion it takes you longer to chew it. It takes longer for the stomach acid to break it into something that can pass into the intestine. It takes longer for the intestine to break down enzymatically the components of those food and release it into the bloodstream. All of that delay, yeah, is potentially something that could lead towards increasing your GI distress. But if you have a low enough content and just drip feed it in, or it's something that's much more simple to eat you know rice cakes again great example because it's pretty much just rice with maybe a tiny a bit of binding agent of some sort try it and you shouldn't experience too many issues if you're going to go and stop for a massive sandwich by the side of the road or pizza you know don't don't be surprised that when you pull off again and get riding that you're going to have some issues you know it's an extreme example yet to kind of demonstrate the more whole food you put in yeah the more potential issue you might be opening yourself up to yeah and maybe on race day uh, well everybody's individual there but but on race day it might be a bit uh recommend recommended to use use the traditional faster uh, proper sports nutrition products like like the gels and the sports drinks uh, because the intensity is higher so you're working closer to your 
capacity and and you might be more sensitive if you uh, if you have slower gastric emptying as well with or slower digestion with with something like a bar or or a pizza in your back pocket yeah. so so yeah there might be a difference there between between racing and and the long steady ride or run yeah potentially and again that's just for each person to come out to what they're most comfortable with at the same time obviously trying to bear in mind that you're performing and that race is a performance that you want to try and get the maximum um, fuel delivery there you can if that's your strategy yeah and uh well that kind of is maybe part of the answer already to to my next question which is that especially for athletes training at higher volumes and and they do need to fuel with a, a large amount of carbohydrate for their training but they don't necessarily want to spend huge amounts of money on uh on using on having all of that be gels or other sports nutrition products uh, what would be your tips or hacks potentially of of what what good cheap replacements for those gels would be yeah you can you can make your own um, sports drinks up. Um, most people, especially if you're into baking or home cooking at all, you're going to have sugar lying around at home. Um, so just put some weigh some sugar into your water bottle and add water. Um, bear in mind that table sugar or sugar is you're going to buy it in the bags from the supermarket is sucrose, so that is a one-to-one ratio of fructose and glucose so don't just sort of go sticking it in thinking it's glucose but you can get glucose and powder form from the pharmacy or online it's pretty cheap um make up your own same with fructose you know people making jam for example will buy fructose um you can get that from the shop so you can just experiment with making your own own drinks and just weigh that out you can experiment with making it super concentrated so use less water um you might want to make it more dilute, use more water. Um, challenge with drinks, obviously, is you've got to carry them, isn't it? So easier for cycling than for running, unless you've got a um, you know, run loop that you're doing a particular session. You might be doing laps of, of the local lake or something, and you can just leave a stash of bottles somewhere and, and have those um, laid out and ready for you. Um, and you touched on it before, like you can just buy sweets and, stuff in bags ready to go that works um put a jam sandwich in your back pocket the other thing i i think that answers that question is maybe diet as well and and we haven't sort of talked a lot about diet today but you know good high quality food to support the training that you're doing you know you touched on volume there um is just fueling for the block of work that you're doing so like thinking about the the period of training that you're in and what you want your diet to do and um, good wholesome sources of carbohydrate like potatoes and rice. Um, they add a lot of carbohydrate content to your diet. They're healthy and um, you can actually, I mean, you, you look at, like I said, you can also use those to make on the bike running snacks as well. So, yeah, between those, I think it's achievable at home and then you can just supplement with the specialist products as and when you need them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find that for, for cycling, it's very easy, as you say, to make make your own mixes. And uh, then for for running, 
you might not even do that many long runs as a triathlete anyway you might do a one one long run per week where you, where you, and, and maybe one intense run where you might have something but then even if you use a gel or two for that intense run and a, a few more gels for that long run then if you can on the bike save money by just making your own mixes then then that's also a, a solution where you will save, save a lot compared to using all gels all the time even even on the bike and uh, yeah and, and gets around that problem of it being difficult to carry things on the run because gels are easy to carry um all right and uh then uh just starting to wrap up here uh, what what are the uh, current projects that you're working on um yeah so the group over here um is um still looking into numerous um supplements um for performance so that's louise burke's group um at acu and the ais over here in australia um there's um projects um we're, we're interested in exploring the hydrogel work further um i know that john ahara um former colleague has got a study coming up in the hydrogel world um which will be very interesting um and that's yeah i think there's still work to be done sort of just trying to nut out some of the um fueling strategies that we can use um for exercise our group has published recently on ketone ingestion for example um during exercise and um i've got a project running at the minute with the guys in oxford um looking at ketone ingestion during um simulated triathlon so we're we're sort of playing around with the dose of ketones and dose of carbohydrates and doing a pretty hard protocol of about an hour hard on the bike i've done it it was awful um <laughs> and then straight off the bike and onto the treadmill for a 10k so yeah that's a, a study in progress as well hopefully wrap up this year and, and get it to print fingers crossed in the you know the next six to 12 months cool and uh where can the listeners follow follow you uh if they want to keep up with with that twitter ResearchGate, any other yeah i'm, uh, I'm on ResearchGate. there's there's stuff on there. i think that's pretty up to date but twitter's um usually the best spot especially if, if people um want to reach out about anything andy j king yeah perfect let's uh finish up with the rapid fire questions so take just one sentence to answer each of these and the first one is what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports yeah, I'm slightly left field here. Ronald Fiennes' autobiography, um, Fiennes was an explorer um, in kind of 70s and 80s and just sheer unbelievable efforts of willpower, um, you know, around the globe type exploration. Incredible. Yeah, I can second that. I have, I mean, I think he has many books, but I have one of them here in the bookshelf behind me. Uh, really good. What's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Oh, to cover all three, sorting out my sleep, um, getting a good sleep routine going really, yeah, it makes a massive difference. Yeah, that's fantastic. And who's somebody you look up to or that has inspired you? Um, both of my granddads, they fought um, or serviced armed forces in World War II. And for me, they represent the sacrifice of a generation that influenced my upbringing they never asked for wanted for anything themselves over anyone else and that's a a thing that i try and fail to live up to all right 
Uh, and uh, finally, thank you so much, uh, Andy. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for sharing uh, your knowledge and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. More than welcome. Thanks so much for having me here. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with links to Andy's profiles on Twitter and ResearchGate, as well as the studies that we mentioned. So you can have a look at them. They are open access on ResearchGate, so you will have links to the full articles. Now, if you want to improve your triathlon performance and want some help to achieve your goals, then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or a scientific triathlon training plan. Whether you are just getting into triathlon, trying to qualify for a world championship event, or even want to race professionally, we have experience in all of those scenarios and would love to discuss further around if and how we can help you on your triathlon journey. Find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs and individualize your plan. Also, book a free video consultation with the team at Precision Fuel and Hydration to get help with refining your strategy. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Senate. Use the Zenate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and most importantly, your swim training consistency. Get 20% off your order on the Swim Trainer with the promo code that you can get on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And don't forget that it's a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks, send it back and you'll get a full refund. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.